power on. Woo, the man of tomorrow uh, here. You know, just a quick opener um, because I want to update on this. What you are about to hear is a review done recently by the goddess of love and logic, that being Ellen Sovereign, uh, and myself of Denise Villeneuve's uh, you know, 2021 rendition version of Frank Herbert's Dune. Now, I just want to update here at the beginning, because what we didn't know at the time of this recording was whether or not, because the 2021 Dune is, you know, only half the story. Um, we didn't know whether or not they planned a sequel to finish the first book, but we had, we didn't know at the time whether or not Warner brothers was going to greenlight uh Villeneuve's, you know, sequel to this. And now we do know that it has been greenlit. Of course, things can change, but the plan is right now for it to come out in October, 2023. Um, I don't think this really changes anything that Ellen and I uh, said or shared in this episode, but just to have the update, we do now know that it is going to, or at least it is greenlit um, to get made. And Villeneuve has said that, you know, it can all happen very quickly, which let's be clear here. That's less than two years away for a full release. Um, so we will see how that will go. Um, but now let's go to Ellen and myself and our review uh, along with much, much more. Believe me, you're going to want to hear this no matter if you're into movies or not, uh, along with much, much more our review of the 2021 version of Dune. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. Legendary films and TV shows. Or just pure shit. The legendary host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. Sovereign at the movies. Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sabzu, the rated R radio star, someone who, when he was a younger man and played some uh, online first person shooters back in the 90s when, you know, console players couldn't do that because they weren't part of the master race, whoo, excuse me, uh, was called Moadib. And we are here to talk about Moadib, though. Did we even hear that get mentioned once? Did they ever say Moadib in the 2021? Doom film, you're Ellen? putting the cart before the horse here. I know, but I just it just kind of came to came to thought here. I don't think they did. They said Lazen Algib. I think they said Mahdi. I don't think they ever said Moadib. No. 
What the fuck? Anyway. What the fuck? <laughs> Ellen, Ellen. Ellen Sovereign. Welcome back to uh, Sovereign Tech. Actually, Sovereign Ooh, at the Movies. Thank you which, for uh, having me back. Yeah, you've been on this before. What did we do? Did we do Fast 9? Was it Fast and Furious 9? Yeah, I think we did. You know, I, I haven't. I have it, but I haven't seen it yet. There's like a director's cut of that, which I wonder if it made it any better. If it did, and we do get to watch it at some point, we'll let you know. That being the listeners. But... Anyway, um, Ellen and I ended up, we are gathered here. <laughs> we are gathered here today. <laughs> to get to- through this thing called life. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I got my purple rain shirt in the uh, in the closet. But um, no, <laughs> what were you going to say? We are gathered here today to do, for what? Oh, to dissect Dune. <laughs> yes, that is, that is what we're going to do. Um, so we finally got the chance in our uh, ridiculously busy lives. Um, to sit down together, lay down together even, and watch uh, Denise Villeneuve's uh, 2021 rendition of Dune. And how did we do this, you ask? Well, we have a futon in the entertainment room. That's right. (laughs) And of course, if you're in the Telegram group, you've seen pictures of that entertainment room. Um, And uh, well, I, I... God damn it, I, I love it in there. <laughs> it's a little temple of entertainment, I'll say. Um, yeah, it's a cavern, more yeah, like it. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So, well, anyway, um, this was available. Let, let, let's talk about this for a second. So, this this movie, the 2021 Dune, was available on Torrance like a week before it officially hit theaters on the 22nd of October. Um, it was released worldwide even a month before then. It was, the movie was supposedly done over, uh, just over a year ago, because it was supposed to come out in, well, I don't know, there were a few times, this movie kept getting pushed back. It was going to come out in 2020. I don't think it was supposed to originally come out in 2019. It was supposed to come out in 2020, then it got pushed back, then it got pushed back again until finally, you know, late in October 2021. Um, I'll straight out say it, I I torrented the film, because I don't pay for HBO Max, um, it's not like we have, I'm not against going to see it in theaters. You and I, Ellen, we've been to the theaters actually quite a bit recently. Yeah, to uh, see 35-year-old movies, Well, they're the only ones that are worth their, worth their salt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know you, it's worth the price of admission. Exactly. And it's not cheap these days. Um, but yeah, we went and saw uh, the original Transformers, the animated movie from 85. Uh-huh. Uh, we went and saw that for the 35th anniversary. We went and saw Rad, one of my favorite movies of all time. What do you think of Rad? Oh, it was great. It was so much fun. Right? It was a really happy story. Yeah. Yeah, even though, fuck, Bart Bart got robbed. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you were worried I was going to get my ass kicked Oh, my or God. Everybody in the, in the theater was cheering. Yeah, they were when, che- cheering for crew. won the competition. Right. And then you're, you just, like, had this look on your face. And then suddenly you yelled, Bart got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> I got to. Somebody's got to stand up for the villains. But really, he got robbed if you watch the movie. No, he didn't. He chose his fate because he uh, fucking stopped uh, in the middle of the race yeah, so that crew could see, catch up. But that's the thing. He, he he was the winner. Like, everybody knew it would have been him if he didn't, like, decide to do tortoise in the hare, you know, with crew. And, and so, anyway. All right. It's well, a, But it's a great movie. Can't You can't blame crew for winning. Yeah. All right. <laughs> But Bart was robbed. So, great movie. What about Transformers, the movie? The original from, you know, the animated from 85. Oh, that was so much fun. Fuck I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Stan Bush, man. Stan Bush has some really awesome tracks in that movie. Yes. That, you know, I could listen to that over and over again. It mm-hmm. still gives me shivers to, like, 
Because they match the music so well with what's going on in oh, the phenomenal. movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like when they're, they're pulling apart, was it The Matrix? The Matrix of Leadership. Yeah. yeah. Rodimus Prime is, mm-hmm. and then they start playing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you got the touch. You got the touch. Oh, man. Yeah, it's great shit. <laughs> you know, they knew how to make them. Back in '85, or back in the '80s, anyway, we should we should say in general. Oh uh, God, fact, it was so sweet. Like I get shivers still yeah. thinking about that moment. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's one of the best soundtracks of all time. In fact, I just recently learned there's a band that sings a few of the songs in it, like Hunger and some others, called Specter General. I didn't know that's actually the band Trickster, but they had to rename the band. I love Trickster. Great '80s, late '80s glam rock uh, uh, or hair metal, um, uh, you know, band. But anyway. We're not here to talk about that, though we will get into some 80s action when we talk about not only Denise Villeneuve's Dune, but when we uh, uh, get into our thoughts around David Lynch's uh, uh, notorious, controversial uh, film from 1984. So, and maybe we'll do some comparison on that, but, you know, let's, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I think what's important to open this up with is what does Dune mean to us? You know, what does Dune mean to Brian Sovereign? What does Dune mean to Ellen Sovereign? And do you want me to start or do you want to? Yeah, you start. Okay, I'll start it off and I'll I'll be brief. I could talk about it forever, but I'll be brief. Um, Dune, for me, I think it still stands as the greatest book ever written. Um, Like, like just just flat out. Wow. Yeah. It's that good. Oh, yeah. And, And as a teenager, I treated it like my Bible, you know, like it was my Torah. Uh... And, like, I, I could quote, like, all the different little quotes that you get from, you know, Irulan and Moadib and everything, you know, from, from Paul. Like, I mean, I, I could quote those right and left. I just, I, I think that book's a, a, a fucking masterpiece. Um, which is funny because originally, and I told you this story, like, when I was six, I rented David Lynch's Dune from the library when I was, like, six or seven. And I was watching it. And that movie has some pretty grotesque moments. Um, and me being that young, it freaked me the fuck out. I was like, no, I'm never touching this, you know? And so I didn't get back into like Dune until I was a teenager and the sci-fi channel, uh, played what is known as the Alan Smithy version of Dune or the four hour version. It's not really four hours, but regardless. Um, so, I mean, I've got a really long history. I have a picture of me wearing a Dune shirt when I was like, like four, which is around when the movie came out and was trying to be a big deal. It has a big sandworm on it and everything. Anyway, Dune is a big deal for me. Uh, the book, the, you know, the original book, like it took me forever to really read it, but it's because I was just taking so much in. Um, and then uh, another another like story that I think uh, I've mentioned before on Sovereign Tech is that, well, of course, once I was done reading Dune, well, I've got to fucking read Dune Messiah, the sequel, right? And I get through this book and I hated it. Hated it. Couldn't even finish it. Didn't even finish it because I like, here we go. We've got, you build up this great character with Paul Moadib and then you're fucking trashing him in the next, in the next book. Drove me nuts. Right. Um, but the whole time I'm just like really appreciating the movie even more and the movie, you know, the, 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 the David Lynch Dune and I'm just, you know, really loving it. And at the time it was my favorite movie. So it had the distinction of being my favorite movie and my favorite book at the same exact time. And that was true up until the matrix came out. Um, and then Gladiator would drop and, and so on. But anyway, uh, yeah, this stuff was really, really inspirational for me and mind expanding. Like it really gets you thinking about, well, all kinds of wild shit. And eventually I got over my disposition over Dune Messiah and was just like, no, all right, I can, I can finish these books. I, I can do this. And I probably didn't finish all of them until like the year 2000 
after Frank Herbert's Dune came out on the Sci-Fi Channel, um, which was a miniseries. So, yeah, Dune, Dune is, you know, I could get into, like, a lot of the themes within it that mean so much to me, but I feel like I'd be giving a lot away. Or, you know, I mean, the books are decades old, you know, it's not like there's there should be spoilers. But also, if someone listens to this and gets inspired to go read the books... Um, I don't want to ruin it for them because there's some amazing things, you know, that, that happen after Dune. Everybody, I think everybody kind of knows the story of the original Dune, but like beyond that, especially when you get into the, the original six, there's some amazing shit. Um, I also wasted a huge chunk of my life reading all of the Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson books now, which I completely decry. Like, I, I think that they're horrible and no one should ever touch them. Just read the Frank Herbert books. Um, but yeah, yeah. Dune was just really, really inspirational and, definitely molded me and you, you know what one of the big things that, that it did for me is it made me very leery of religion it might be one of the things that made me like that turned me more atheist as a teenager like it was it was that crucial between that and harlan ellison like that that did the job to me so yeah dune dune's a big deal i could go on and on and on but like dune just has been a part of my life as far, literally as far back as I can remember, even to being a little kid, I have memories of it. Um, so, Ellen, how so about you? I have ahead. a question Please. for you. You said that Dune was like your Bible. So what what sort of, like, morals do you feel like you got from Dune? What sort of lessons did you take away from it? Ooh, um, there, there was a lot. I mean, more of it would come from the later books. Uh, but, like... Even just what you get, like what you learn about the Bene Gesserit in that book, and just a lot of like the machinations that that are happening, and and how, uh, or I mean, like fear is the mind killer, like that that whole. I mean, I can quote you know so much of that, and I think that that's a beautiful like like way to engage just about anything. Um, so you know, there's there's that uh, as far as like Paul himself and what what he goes through. I mean, yeah. You know, you, you gotta you gotta kill your messiahs, right? <laughs> Which I, I don't want to I don't, I don't want to you know give give too much away. Um, but I just thought Paul was like the ultimate character. I mean, here he is, this fifteen year old, you know, kid who gets thrust into this incredible uh, uh, situation. Um, and I don't, like the Fremen, I thought that they were really cool. I love like their their survival, uh, you know, survivalist nature. Um, there's a lot of stuff within the appendices of the original Dune book that, uh, you know, really like struck me and stood out to me. Um, I mean, this, this was a big deal. In fact, well, another, I mean, I won't spend a ton of time on the story, but like, it was such a big deal. My backpack in high school was, I wrote like Shai Halud. I wrote all this, all these terms from Dune on it. After, t now I kept that backpack for a very long time. After the 9-11 attacks, first time I get on a plane, I go to get on a plane, I have, I'm using that backpack because I'm on my way to a sci-fi convention, okay? And the TSA sees all this, because a lot of the language in Dune is Arabic. They're seeing all these Arabic words on it, like fadiyin, you know, and everything. And, oh yeah, I got, I got pulled into a separate room, you know, here, here I am 20 years old. And I, or yeah, 20 years old and I get pulled into a separate room and everything. I got the, the, the glove treatment, the whole business, uh, because they were freaked the fuck out because my backpack had shit from Dune on it. I, I kept trying to tell them it's like, no, it's just Dune, you know? Um, 
But they, you know. No, and there was a sci-fi fan? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ironic. I hope some of them are, like, watching the 2021 Dune now and going, boy, that kid was ahead of his game. But anyway. Um, so I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll answer it more as we continue the conversation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's other things that I liked about it. I mean, there's just, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to dig, especially when you're a teenage, a teenage boy, you know, like I, I'd never read a book that talked about an orgy before. Like that blew my freaking mind, you know, that they're like the, the, the Tao Siege orgy, you know, that after, uh, you know, after the Reverend Mother drinks, uh, you know, purifies the water of life, um, everybody else gets to drink like a less purified version of it. And they all just start, you know, rocking themselves. And that, that was another thing blew my mind, you know, like, like there weren't books that had that, or at least not books that were easily accessible or that my mother would know, you know? So, so, I mean, that, that struck me as well. (laughs) Helen's just staring at me. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just not like I, I don't feel like you're really describing this as someone would like the Bible, but that's okay because there's more to talk about yeah as we continue. Yeah. And you know, maybe as we reveal some of the things that happen in Dune. Sure. Well, I mean I might be being out? a little hyperbolic and calling it my Bible. I'm just saying that it was like the thing that I looked at. I mean, the Bible is a collection of stories that will people will look at for like moral instruction or like this is how I want things to be or blah blah blah. Yeah, right? they take lessons from it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for Dune, there were just a lot of elements of it that is like, yeah, this is you know, this is this is cool. You know, and like the lessons of, you know, survivalism, a lot of and I mean there's plenty of other aspects to it as well. Um yeah, and, but, and, but certainly and the inspiration that you were drawing from it too. Yeah, yeah. And certainly when you get into later books like God Emperor and Heretics, like my some of my, you know, uh, definitions of love and, you know, like what the importance of love and what I think of love, not just as like, not, not just in relational love, but like love as a force, you know, kind of in the universe. A lot of the stuff all comes from the Dune books. So, wow. yeah. Um, yeah, it's powerful stuff when you, especially when you get into those later, uh, later Dune novels, which we'll probably never see a movie of. There's no way they could get away with it. So, anyway, so Ellen unless you have another question, what does Dune mean to you? Uh, well, for me, I guess it's not, again, it's like Star Trek where you grew up with it and I didn't, I didn't discover Dune until after, um, after I moved to New Hampshire, actually. So when I was in high school, I remember being in Quizbusters, which like was just a nerdy trivia competition where yep. we'd travel around to other local schools and I love it. answer <laughs> trivia questions. Yeah. Eventually, if you did well enough, you'd go to like the local TV station and be on a competition <laughs> there. So cool. <laughs> anyway, um, I remember my my teacher, my favorite teacher in high school, who's my, uh, he taught all of the science classes. He was also our coach for Quiz Busters. And he said that anytime you hear a question about a desert planet or sandworms, it's Dune. Yeah. And that's all I knew for yeah. years was like, Dune is a story about sandworms and the desert. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what lay in store Yeah. <laughs> when I opened up the book for the first time, which was on a very long flight 
<laughs> that I took when I was probably like 22 years old, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, so, let's be clear. That's not too long ago. I mean, okay. You yeah. Know, that, it's that's five only, years ago. Yeah. It's like five years ago. I mean, that's anyway. Yeah. 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 So five years ago, I entered. You took the plunge. I, <laughs> yeah. I took the plunge. I entered yeah. the, the journey that is Dune. And I remember reading that book so quickly. Um, it was just it engrossing. It's an entirely different universe. Uh, all these planets, all these characters, they're described so well. Like, yeah. It's a spider web of, like, plans within plans. It's fully realized. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just... And every chapter I felt like I was reading something and I could kind of put some of the pieces together, but a lot of it I was like, I just don't get it yet. Mm -hmm. I just don't Mm -hmm. get it. And then at the end, it all perfectly fits together. Right. And it all makes sense. And it's so satisfying. Um, It's just a beautiful story. Yeah. The Frank, first Dune is, right, yeah. Right. Frank Herbert is a writer, I mean, playing on another level, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he's so brilliant. Yeah. There are very few people, I'd say, that are, like, reach the level of intelligence that he does. Who would you say? Olaf uh, Stapleton? Isaac Asimov. Asimov? Yeah. Stapleton? Stapleton. Asimov? Mm-hmm. Sagan? Carl Sagan? Yeah, I think he uses his differently, but yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, one of the top intellects, I, yeah, I would sure. say, like, of all time. Right writing these stories yeah and it's just like what re-watching the movie recently was so inspirational to me because you know the more you retread over the story like the more little pieces you mm-hmm. absorb mm-hmm. and it just it really paints this whole picture of um like what frank is trying to say with the book but it's it's complicated. Like, every time you think you pick out one message, there's like, yeah, but there's also this. Right. Uh, like, there's an ecological message, and then there's also a message about religion. Yes. And there's just all of these different aspects of life that are coming to... And, like, technology, too. It's such a major component. Um, yeah, so all these different aspects of life kind of converging into this one galactic-level story. Yeah, I mean, I I love it when people say, well, Dune is about X. And it's like, shut up. <laughs> Dune is about A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. I mean, like, Dune is about all of it. Like, there's, there's not just, like, one or two things that you can say, this is what Dune's about. No, 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 no. This is, this is incredibly uh, complex, quantum, multifaceted. I mean, there's, there's so much going on. Uh, like, a lot, the easy thing that people always bring up is that, well, the spice is representative of crude oil. But it's not. Well, in one sense it is, but then it's so much more. Yes. It's not just that. It allows for a commentary on that, but then it's infinitely more, even in the very first book. Um, so that's why I say I, I'm bothered when people say Dune is about, you know, X. It's like, you're just wrong, you know, when you say that. Yeah. So anyway, continue. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I love it. I'm, I I adore this story. And even recently I started listening to the the sequel books mm-hmm. because I was so inspired when we rewatched the movie again. Yeah. Like every time I encounter Dune in some fashion, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's a really amazing book. Why haven't I started listening to the sequel books? 
Yeah, you know, I it, I, I got to tell you, it's very rare that I find people who have read the sequel books. Um, you find a lot of people that have read Dune, like that. I haven't found anyone that's read Dune besides yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, funny enough, all of my coworkers were talking about this the other day because the new movie just came out, mm-hmm. and none of them read the book, and they're all confused by the the Dune story. Well, we're going to revisit that conversation of confusion. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I, I, that is a key term for our review when we get into it, but I don't want to spoil it yet. Um, but confusion has been a part of Dune for a long time. So, and not just the book. Like, I think there's a lot of people who don't get the book, you know. Um, but, so... With the 1984 Dune, which is the one that we we rewatched recently, so Arrow Films, who they do these great uh, packages of, of like 4K render or 4K uh, scans, and well or 2K scans, and they'll do 4K re-releases on disc and Blu-ray re-releases on disc of a lot of these classic films, and they do it right. They put tons of documentaries on the discs. It'll usually be like a multi-disc set. Sometimes they'll come with books and everything. Um, well, they recently, just in the past couple months, came out with uh, one for Dune, for the 1984 Dune made by David Lynch. And that's what I got my hands on, and that's what inspired us to rewatch the movie. Yeah, it was a shorter version, though. Like, there's a lot missing. Yeah, well, yeah. So that that's an issue with the 1984 Dune, is there are two official versions. We know that there's like a four-hour work print um, that gets talked about even in, uh, if you watch the deleted scenes on the disc for Dune, uh, the original, for the 84 Dune, um, like, uh, what's her, what's her name? Uh, Raffaella, uh, De Laurentiis, Dino's daughter, um, who is a major part. In fact, you know, kudos to the 84 Dune. This is the first time in Hollywood that a woman was the producer of a film. Nice. Or at least of a, you know, a major film. Um, that, that's something to you know be proud of for sure, and but but she talked about it. She said, yeah, David Lynch had a had like a four hour four hour and six minute work print or something like that. Boy, I'd love to see what that was. But then beyond those three versions, okay, then you also have like fan made versions where they've kind of re-spliced in some stuff. They've put in deleted scenes, some artwork and everything. And now you have there's like Spice Driver version, but it's version three of that. Those are the latest. And then there is what's called the Complete Dune, which is actually, that's pretty easy to find. The Spice Driver version takes a little effort. Um, we haven't watched those. So, but you know, and you can feel it when you watch, you know, the 84 Dune that, oh, there's a lot more that that David Lynch wanted in here and that he filmed. And we do know that he wanted in theaters, he wanted it to be three hours. That's an important point to mention as well. Um, so, yeah, I've always called the theatrical cut, which is what got released in this new Blu-ray set, I've always called it the fast food version of Dune. Yeah, it took out all the gross stuff. Well, no, it's there. The, the, like a lot, of, like, you know, this is the this is the version where you do get, you know, um, Baron Harkonnen, uh, not Harkonnen in this, <laughs> Baron Harkonnen, where like he's pulling the heart plugs, he's eating that like boy's, you know, I'm guessing his face or his heart or something like that. And it's pouring down. I mean, that's there in, in the, like the Alan, what is known as the Alan Smithy version. They cut out a lot of the grossness, you know, but maybe there was even more grotesque shit because it's pretty clear. David Lynch was a fan of the Harkonnens, which is weird in of itself, but okay. 
Um, well, if you're going to go into grossness and, and mm-hmm. you know, you just got to go all the way. Well, he's good at that. <laughs> I mean, it was full depravity. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, anyway, we, we ended up rewatching, you know, the fast food version. Now, I mean, my comment on the fast food version, like I always say, okay, I like the longer versions better, but the fast food version is great because I can get my Dune fix in two hours instead of three or four. You know, and, and so that's why I've, I've learned to appreciate the theatrical version because it is that faster like version of it. And you still get a lot of the high notes. Um, but so we, we rewatched this, by the way, if anyone's wondering, I mean, the the remastering that Arrow Films did for this is stunning. I mean, it looks fucking amazing um, on Blu-ray. It does on 4K, even though 4K is a cheat. It's got to look phenomenal. Um so we rewatched it. This is what second time you've watched, right? David Lynch's Dune. First time was also with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was amazing. And you're you're <laughs> that. In fact, that's the whole reason I started buying Blu-rays again because <laughs> we watched Dune together. Right. And you cried. You were so happy. I, I, well, that's because most people don't appreciate this stuff, but you appreciated it. And I felt so bad though because I'm like, oh, there's all these little details going on in the '84 Dune that the like torrented version that I had of it. It just, it was very blocky and choppy and it just didn't look right. And I know you don't care, but I cared. At least with this movie, because it just looks that good. Well, now it looks even better. And, and it was, would you say it was an amazing experience watching the 84 Dune uh, the other night? Yeah. And yeah. the first time I watched it too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. So, but. <laughs> Again, I don't really care about picture quality all that much. Right, right. No, I hear that. I hear that. Well, anyway, so the 84 Dune, David Lynch's Dune. Uh, you know, when, when you're on, or even when I'm doing Sovereign at the Movies, you know, we give movies a ranking or whatever. What do you give the 84 Dune? 10. 10. Like 10 out of 10. Yeah, no question. Yeah. I agree. It's a perfect movie. Yes. I I totally agree with you. Um, let me ask you this question about it. If you saw that and never read Dune, would, do you feel that that movie would have been very confusing? I, I don't know. I think, again, it might take, like, repeat watches. Mm-hmm. See, this is the kind of stuff where, like, I, I'll never really be able to know because I, ne- I didn't watch the... I read the book before I right. watched the movie. Right. But I think the movie was a really... Although, like, brief, mm-hmm. accurate representation of what happened in the book. Right. Yeah, so... And it touched on all of the important plot points. Yes. Um... Now, the movie is written by, was not only directed, but also written by David Lynch. Um, I think that movie shows just how brilliant David Lynch is as a writer, not just as a director. Um, Because there are things that you can tell he had to compress, but he amazingly still gets the point across. You know, and and I think even without without having prior knowledge. Now, here's the rub. So in 84, when this came out, this was a big budget production. This was supposed to be Universal's uh, answer to Star Wars and what Star Trek was doing at the time, both white hot. Um, And this was considered by test audiences to be an incredibly confusing film. And in fact, they at when you went to go see it in movie theaters in 84, they would give you a sheet that had. Like a description of all the characters on it. Wow. Like who the Lady Jessica is, who Baron Harkonnen is, you know, and so on. Because they were so afraid that people just wouldn't fucking get it. So they got to give you something, you know, to like, <laughs> to figure it out. 
And uh, I don't think it needs that at all. But, you know, let's just be clear that that the, the, the thought process at the time was that the 84 Dune was a confusing film. I just want to make sure that point, because we're going to revisit that point. But I want to make that very clear. Um, again, I don't think that it is. Um, the later version of Dune that I would see that the Sci-Fi Channel would air, the four-hour version, the Alan Smithy version, as it's called, has like this 20-minute concept art intro that explains all the backstory, the Butlerian Jihad, all this kinds of stuff. And it's great. I think that's a really valuable thing to have. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. That sounds pretty awesome. I'd love to see that. We'll watch it. We will watch it. Um, but I, at the same time, I think that Dune does just fine without it, or the 84 Dune does, regardless. Um, yeah, and I'm with you. It's a 10 out of 10 film. I mean, it, was, it used to be my favorite movie of all time. In fact, I mean, it technically could still hold that rank. Uh, it's 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 just, it's an absolute masterpiece. There's nothing else that looks like it. There's nothing, there's just nothing else like it ever before or since. Um, at the time, critics hated it. There were only a couple of critics that really stood up for it. One of them being Harlan Ellison, which is something that he and I really connected on. Uh, because I, at that time, I'd never talked to anybody who even fucking saw the film, you know, and yeah. let alone loved it. And it was so powerful to tell you, boy, the way he would talk about that movie is amazing. Anyway. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a great film. Like the soundtrack's great. The look of everything is great. Um, the soundtrack is so epic by Toto and Brian Eno. Yeah. But it's, it's incredible. I mean, I'm still walking around humming that tune Oh, yeah. Even today, like, we watched this days ago, and yeah, yeah. I, I'm, it's still it's stuck. stuck in my head. We'll talk about the music for the 2021 Dune when we get to it. <laughs> what music? <laughs> wow. Man, that's a burn. <laughs> You'll find out why. Uh, but anyway, so, yeah, it just... And, and the actors, I mean, people can complain about Kyle MacLachlan. Like, he's seen as a great actor now. Uh some people felt that maybe he wasn't right for the part back in the day. I thought he did fine. Um, everybody else is certainly top of their game. Patrick Stewart, Jurgen Prochnow, Francesca Anna. Um, just go down the goddamn list. They're, 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 everybody's phenomenal in, in that. Um, but again, it was a movie that was not liked at the time uh, by most people. Uh, but I think you talk to a lot of like science fiction fans that kind of grew up with it or were there. And I think most of them love it just because it is so amazing looking at the very least. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the 84 Dune, 10 out of 10. Perfect film. You got big shoes to fill, right? If you're going to, you know, like if you're going to if you're going to do if you're going to remake Dune, you've got to compete with that. OK, now in the popular mindset and maybe in Hollywood, in the executive boardrooms, they don't think you have to compete with it because they think the movie sucks. Of course, <laughs> right. Of course, they don't understand, <laughs> you know, that um, I mean, even there's critics today, some of the biggest critics today, like Scott Mendelson for Forbes. Um, he loves the original Dune from from 84. Uh, and I recommend reading his review of the 2021 Dune as well. Um, now, again, the 2021 Dune being remade by Denise Villeneuve, it's not the first time that Dune has been remade. There was also a miniseries made by the Sci-Fi Channel, which at the time was their most expensive production, as well as their biggest rating success uh, in, the, in the year 2000. And that goes, you know, what, whatever. I think that did two nights. Um, so, like, it could equate to about four hours or so. Um, they would also make 
Children of Dune, which would be Dune Messiah and Children of Dune into one miniseries, which would go like three nights. Wow. So that was like six hours. Um, and, you know, it, it's a TV budget at a time when TV budgets meant that you were getting lower quality. Today, that's not true anymore. But back then, in, in the year 2000, that was definitely the case. Um, you can see the lower budget nature of it. Uh, but it, I've always been a fan of it. I've always liked it. It doesn't hold a candle to, to David Lynch's Dune. Not even close. Um, but I just want to mention that that's out there and I will, you know, we will compare these films to each other, um, you know, as, as, as we talk about it. So, so, you know, just making, making everybody aware of that. Now the 2021 Dune, let's, let's talk about this because again, when you got those big shoes to fill, would you say Ellen that Denise Villeneuve's Dune in 2021 is a 10 out of 10 film? I would absolutely not say that. <laughs> <laughs> not in a million years. Do you want to even try to rank it right now? Uh oh gosh. I mean again, it's a good movie. Uh there are a lot of things it does right. It goes slowly, it doesn't rush too much. Uh-huh. Uh it does like some character development. You get to you get uh introduced to a lot of the important characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and planets, but I don't know. I'd maybe give it like a seven. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What so, about you? All right. Well, could you rank it? Well, let me. You hit at my my thoughts about this. So now this is a dividing film. I think already. Uh, in fact, you know, uh, just in my opinion, one of the best people on the planet, uh, Jacob, who people will know from the Sovereign Tech Telegram group, longtime listener, just great guy. Uh, he loved this, as I understood it. He loved this movie. So, and I and I and th- he's a man of incredible taste and ethics. And so, you know, at some point, I'm going to find out why. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's hear this. Why yeah. did you love it? So, and I love him, and I think that's and, and great. You know, if he digs, he digs. Here's the thing for me: is yeah, like it's not a bad movie. It's actually a pretty good movie, but it's a bad Dune movie. Yeah, as far as covering the Dune story, it fucking sucks. It makes me so mad. People are going to watch this today and be like, oh yeah, I love Dune. But you've never read the book. You've never seen the original movie. You have no idea. Yeah. You have no idea how good it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so right. So, here's my ranking. Um, as a Dune movie, it gets like a four out of ten. Yes. Okay. As a, as, rip the Dune labeling off. Okay, and yeah, I'll, I'll give it a seven or eight. Like, it, 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 it's a it's a cool film. Like, I mean, there's there's some there's some amazing shit going on in this. Um, but again, it's a Dune movie, so it's got things it's got to live up to. It has expectations. Yeah. yeah, it just kind of infuriates me that it's claiming to be a Dune movie. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, I was and, and Rob and I have talked about this a lot, and I, I haven't gotten Rob's review yet either. Um, but, but, you know, when that comes, maybe he'll even be on TIE Fighter Renegades and we'll talk about it again because I'll be happy to trash this film one more time. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but so, so on TIE Fighter Renegades, he and I have been covering, you know, the news that's come out about this, uh, for years now. And, you know, we were both cautiously optimistic. We're like, okay, yeah, it might suck, but it, or, but it's Dune. So maybe it'll be all right. And Denise Villeneuve can make a good movie. He can make a great movie. Um, 
Arrival. I thought Arrival was a very good movie. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, it was memorable. Yeah. Uh, I know Rob didn't like Blade Runner 2049. I know you haven't seen it yet. I love Blade Runner 2049, which is a sequel to the original Blade Runner by Ridley Scott. Um, I thought he did great work with that. You know, And so I was feeling like, okay, this guy can do it. This, this guy can, can make it happen. Um, one of the things that was bothering me was the narrative around this movie very early on. Uh, like I read interviews because again, I was keeping my eye on this like really close. There were interviews with the, uh, the, the woman who played uh, Dr. Liet Kynes, which is traditionally a male character. I don't have any problem with that. I don't, I, I have no issue with, with her being a black woman or, you know, with Dr. Kynes being a black woman now, like a, great, you know, no, no issue here. How did you feel about that? Um, it was all right. It didn't change the story at all. No, I, I think it was really interesting because not only did they do that gender swap, they also included a lot of other races in this movie. It was a very, like, a, a very diverse cast. Oh, oh, yeah, human races. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Yes, there, that 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 was uh, like Doctor Yui was was Asian. Yeah, and, yeah, totally fine with me. You know, I I thought it was great. It didn't change any aspects of the story, so mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah. Um, so that's the funny thing, though, that you say that. The reason is, so there's two major narratives that were getting schlepped out. There's actually three. We'll get to the third one. But there's two major narratives that were getting schlepped out early on about this film. There was a major interview with the gal who played Dr. Kynes. And they also talked to Denise Villeneuve about this. And where they were saying, see, now it makes Dune this, you know, by making her a feat, by making Dr. Kynes a female character, it makes the movie a story of mothers. What? See, I, I didn't even tell you this before we recorded. I'm and so your confused response, by that exa- statement. Because is that there? Did you no. feel like that was a story about mothers? Uh-uh. Right. <laughs> so what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> Unless they're saying that she's like mother of Arrakis. Well, she's the mother. I mean, and and well, we know right that that Chani is the daughter of Doctor Kynes. So, but they they don't tell you that at this in this at all. Like, there's there's no hint of that. In fact, good luck getting any fucking Chani in the movie. Uh, that's the third pillar here that I want to talk about is that. They've got Zendaya going around all over the place on this press tour. She's in the movie for seven minutes total. That's it. Seven minutes. Anyway, so like even with, uh, 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 I don't know. I felt like Jessica, Paul's mother, was very uh, in the background. Like I, I didn't feel like she had near the presence that she did in the 84 Dune. When Frances- Maybe just Francesca Ann is just that much of a presence and that much of an actress that you know, like she just can't be in the background. You know what I mean? Um, but what what did you think of like Jessica in this? Her well, portrayal? I didn't feel like any of them were powerful characters. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like you get to see towards the end, you know, when Paul actually when when shit starts to go down, like Paul does become a stronger character. Right. But I don't think that I, I don't think Jessica really showed any strength in this movie. She just seemed like an average person right now see but if you read interviews before this movie they would claim that she is now a far more powerful character in this film and they go on this whole big thing that we make we bring in dr kynes as a woman we bring in you know jessica as a more powerful character which i did not see at all and now it becomes a story of mothers 
Why is she a more powerful character? I don't know. I didn't see it at all. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And I mean, again, this is a big problem that's happening, is that I feel like in a lot of the the, the early press that's been going on, um, there's just straight-up lies. The dignity and the mystical nature of the Bene Gesserit that mm-hmm. is just not present. You don't yeah. feel that when yeah. she's on screen. Yeah, which is another problem because they HBO wants to make... They're, they're making a, a series, a TV series, about the Bene Gesserit. It's like Dune the Sisterhood or something like that. I don't think that's going to take off. They're not going to do that. Because uh, I, I just can't imagine that people are... Like, the reaction by the normies to this movie, the thing that was getting the normies to go and see this film was Zendaya, because I guess she's a big fucking deal. Like, okay, she was great in The Greatest Showman. I have nothing against her, you know? Um, But I don't see where she's, like, the greatest actress to ever walk the earth. But anyway, she's in it for seven minutes, and people are flipping out about it, because the way Warner Brothers is, is, is pushing this, she's, like, the big star. She's the big actress. She's not in it. I'm so glad I'm out of touch with the news. Right? <laughs> right that would have given me such a a false expectation for this movie well people are pissed and rightfully so i mean this is one of those cases where i think people should be suing these fuckers and like hey you showed me a trailer where zendaya is in almost the whole goddamn thing but she's only in seven minutes of the of the film um you know that's false advertising like you screwed me out of my money you know, like there should be class action lawsuits against Hollywood for this stuff. Oh, I don't they do it with trailers that. all the time. They're calling this movie Dune, but they don't even. <clears throat> this is what really frustrates me. <laughs> There's no guild navigators in the movie mm-hmm. at all. They don't mention them. Nope. They don't talk about them. They don't nope. show them folding space nope. time or, you know, them traveling from Caladan to Arrakis. Nope. Did they mention, did they say the word Mentat once in this movie? I don't, they probably did, but they did not explain that Mentats are human computers and that they drink that juice that makes the their lips red. Yes. Yeah, yeah n- non-existent. So I, I have one other point I want to get to, but we're leading into that there is no explanations in this movie. Like this movie, you, you want people want to say the '84 Dune was confusing? No, this movie's fucking confusing. This movie doesn't explain shit. Uh, it, it's a mess. Yeah, you just see these guys with nictitating membranes on their eyes and a little red dot you on know their where lip. That came from. And yeah. you have no idea what they're like, what's their deal? Right. You don't get an explanation. Right. And how much did we even get to see Geedy Prime? What? Like a minute, maybe? Why does the whole universe care about the spice? Yeah. I mean, seriously, they're their whole like planets ready to go to war over the <sighs> spice. And they they just totally drop the ball on that. Like this is the most expensive, precious thing in the universe. Yeah, they explain that it's used for space travel, right? I guess. But like, that, there, was, there was a hologram that Paul was listening right. to early in the movie before they go to Arrakis. Right. Um, but that's where they just briefly explain some of this stuff. Yeah, so so here's the other part. I want to get to this. Here's the other part, because I already got to Zendaya and how she's not even in the movie, um, even though you'd think she was, like, the hero of the film, uh, based on, you know, the... the the press circuit that they're on. So here's the other part. And Rob and I talked about this on TIE Fighter Renegades months ago, where Denise Villeneuve said that Dune is a story about capitalism against capitalism. Okay. Now, now, like I said earlier, anytime somebody says Dune is about X, they're wrong (laughs) because it's not just about X ever. Okay. 
Now, I could kind and I said at the time, I don't see where Dune is at, but I could kind of guess where you could massage it into that. But I watched that movie, and I didn't see a goddamn thing about being a, 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 a you know, a screed against capitalism. Like, yeah, that, I, I guess. I mean, there's a moment where um, I think it's the first time that you meet Stilgar, and he's talking to the royal family. And he's saying, like, you guys just mine spice and you don't give anything back to the planet. Yeah. And Paul's like, you're right. That's true. Yeah. And that's probably it. I think there's, like, a little bit of an ecological message. And if you want to say that that's counter-capitalism, I could kind of believe that. But it's, um, I mean, it's not a theme they're, the still, they're still mining the spice. Yeah. It's, I, do, I yeah. don't see it. Like, I, okay, there might be little, like, a line or two, and I mean it, like, two max, that might hint at that mm-hmm. but otherwise it's not there like it's not a theme of the film and again Villeneuve said this is a theme of the film so the two themes he said is that this is a story about mothers and this is anti-capitalism neither of those exist in that movie um actually like I, I I'm worried where they are going to take it because they're talking about turning Dune into a paradise like it's a good thing when you you know as in turning it green um, and that it's like easy to do, but because everybody wants the spice, we can't do it or whatever. Uh, I guess Villeneuve didn't read the rest of the Dune books because, and, and I mean, that gets into whole other areas. Like, wait a minute, doesn't the fucking sandworm have the right to exist without your, you know, uh, uh machinations? Yeah, exactly. You know, and we know that when you start turning Dune green, sandworms run into trouble and then you get sand trout and all that. I mean, not anyway. <laughs> Everything that this movie's supposed to be about is not there. Like that that that's kind of like the main point that I that that I walk away from and I was I was just and it's a confusing film. Like Yeah, you don't even get to meet the emperor. Mhm. Uh you meet his army. <laughs> yeah, the emperor's not in it at all. You're right. You get to see the Sardaukar. You go to Seleucus Secundus, which that was cool. Yeah. And the Sardaukar were well done. Like uh, I mean, you know, there are positive things about this movie. You know, it's just again, as a Dune movie, there aren't many, if any. Uh, the ornithopters were great. Yes, they actually looked like dragonflies. Yeah, which is how I always imagined them when I was reading the book. Yeah, yeah. That that was that's where modern uh, uh, effects, special effects, you know, really brought this, you know, brought this in, and and, and you know, it improved upon what had come before. Uh, definitely the best ornithopters ever. But like that shouldn't be the only good thing I could say about this movie. Um, yeah, so I guess let's talk about the music for a minute. Um, well, no, no, no. All right, hold on. There's one thing, I, a major theme that's not in this at all. And that is, like, because they don't talk about the Mentats, they don't talk about one of the real major themes of Dune, which is anti-AI. Right. Uh, you know, anti-artificial intelligence. You know, like the Orange Catholic Bible says in it, you know, thou shalt not make a machine you know, in the likeness of the mind of man. Yeah, that's like ancient thinking, ancient human thinking. Right. Uh, for for whatever, year 10,000? 10,191, yeah, yeah okay. exactly. So, like, they would look back on us as having, like, machine slaves that are doing our thinking, and that's somehow immoral, right? Yeah, yeah, which has to do with the Butlerian Jihad, which we won't go into the history lesson here, but the movie should have gone into the history lesson. And this is another case where it seems like Hollywood, 
I, I don't I don't understand what's going on there. But Hollywood has some boner for artificial intelligence where they don't want to make fun of it and they don't want to insult it. Like Star Wars has, I've talked about this a million times, how Star Wars has this weird thread of like droid rebellion in it that nobody else is really picking up on. Um, yeah, like making the droids more human. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because somebody must have thought, well, the droids were getting treated bad in the original trilogy or something. It, it, it's all very strange. Dune is absolutely a story about, uh, you know, of concern that you know, making artificial intelligence is going to enslave humanity. You know, it's a warning around that. And that's why the Mentats exist. And that's why the, well, not why, but that's part of what makes it so interesting that there's all these different types of people, like the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. Because they, Dune is more focused on, like, the human evolution. Yes. And what can we make humans into as you know, a part of our natural evolution. Right. See, this is one of the big things of what does Dune mean for me? This is one of the big, one of the key points is that it is exploring different avenues of how to push the human condition to the limit without machines. Like how do we make, you know, how can we take humans to this next level just with our biology, you know, and, or with biological answers. I mean, for the Mentats, it's the juice of Safu, but they're called the human computers, right? Uh, and and it, it, they're amazing characters. Like, it's a fascinating exploration. The Guild, the Spacing Guild, is another exploration of where humans can go. I mean, right. the Guild Stage Navigators, like, don't even look human anymore. They were, but they don't look it now. The Bene Gesserit are another exploration. What if we go this way, you know, through breeding programs and, like, you know, just training the human body to such a, a high level of precision, you know, all, all these other, I love that. None of it is in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It takes out so much of the scale. Cause like right. exploring all those different avenues of human evolution really makes it, it gives you a, a sense of like the time that it's taken to right. do that and all the trial and error and like all of the amazing things that people can do now. And, yeah. and none of that is explained in, in the new Dune. Yes, and without the anti-artificial intelligence message, none of that makes any sense. And none of it has the importance and weight, you know, that, that is what makes it so great and so compelling. Um, yeah, and, I, you know, it's interesting you say that. Like, I think people would watch this movie... And be a little confused, like, why is it so far in the future, yet they don't have all this amazing tech around them? Exactly. Like, their lives are still relatively normal, mm -hmm. except they can travel between planets. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. It, again, it just adds to that confusion. This movie explains nothing. You know, you can get it. You, you know what's going on if you've read the book. Some stuff that, I mean, Villeneuve like reordered some things like Duncan, you know, meets his fate much later than he normally would. Um, and there's some other things. I didn't really have any problem with those. That's fine. You know, like, like you can, you can kind of rearrange that shit. A sure. Bit. David Lynch did the same thing in certain ways. Um, but you know, that's the thing though. If you don't know the story of Dune, this, in my opinion, this movie makes no sense. Yeah. And that's one of the best things about Dune is that it's a human story. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's so much more to it than that, but yeah. it's essentially a human story. There's no, like, big...
big tech AI that's going to destroy the universe right. and it's going to enslave humanity. There's none of that. Uh, it's it's just purely about like the ins and outs of life and where you can go with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and it's explorations, you know, even of like violence and, you know, with like with the personal shield generators that everybody has, you know, like swords and knives are a big deal still. Why? Because these personal shields have made guns almost worthless, you know, uh, and, and like the explorations around that, that's that's really cool. That can be really cool action. And I'm not going to say that, that they failed on that. Um, I think some of the action that they put on display in this movie was very good, um, you know, and very cool at that. Uh, and part of what makes it cool, though, is that, you know, there is it's not that they've gone backwards. It's just there were choices, technological choices made throughout Dune's fictional future um, that lead to interesting results. So we got some of that. But again, there's no explanation of it. You have no idea why. Like if you if if I was coming into this cold, I'm like, why aren't they using guns? Yeah, you you know, <laughs> I mean, you get it with like with the shield that okay, the slow blade gets through the shield, um, but they give you like one line on that. Like there, there, there's just there's there's just nothing there. Um, now I'm not going to say that the '84 Dune did a better job of explaining on that, but then again, okay, if the '84 Dune sucks because it's confusing, this movie sucks because it's even more confusing. Right. Like that, that's, that's kind of my, you know, kind of my point. So let's talk about, are we, we good to talk about the music or yeah. do you have more point? Okay. Let's talk about the music. So earlier today you were in the kitchen and. As just, I often am. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. And you were, <laughs> I just, I'm walking by and you just start going. Wah, wah, wah. You asked me what I was listening to. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm like, oh, you're listening to the Dune soundtrack. Yeah, and you were just like, yeah, I was. <laughs> okay, Hans Zimmer did the score for this. Now, Hans Zimmer has always been great. He's made such fun music. He's awesome. He's brilliant. He did Gladiator. He did Crimson Tide. He did Man of Steel, the Batman trilogy. Batman. Yeah, he's done very inspiring, beautiful, powerful. Some of the most powerful uh, compositions, I would argue, in human history. I don't know what the fuck he was doing in this. No, well, he's been doing it a lot in movies lately where he's like going for tones instead of melody. Like he's trying to create a fearful tone that gets the emotional reaction of fear and not the melody that hints at the fear. And I'm not a fan of this process. Like I, I don't dig it. What, what he's doing. Um, yeah. I miss having the melodies there. It yeah, makes the music the big so much more engaging. Right. Like what's, I mean, you can make an atmosphere and you know, it'll put you more in the mindset of like where we are. But I think, you know, music with a melody pulls at your emotions so much more. Yes. Yeah. And it gives you something to like think about and kind of relive as you go outside of the movie. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you were even saying it earlier. So, I mean, just real quick, if you don't mind, you have a beautiful voice anyway. Oh, thank if, you. If you don't mind, like just, just hum the, the theme to the 84 Dune. Dun, dun, okay, all right, all right, great. Now, hum, hum the theme to the 2021 Dune. There is no theme. <laughs> right. yeah. There's no theme, you know? And no, that, I mean, there, there are voices that you can hear that are, like, far away. Yeah, there's something in the background. Saying, they're, like, just doing that. I don't know what it's called. I'm sure there's a name for it. Yes. But it's just... 
It's like just singing one tone and then kind of like wavering your voice around it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there's there's a lot of like sand and rain noises and it's it's very abstract. It's more like meditation music. Yes. Yeah, it felt like he was going for, what do they call those things that the uh, the Aborigines, like that they use in Australia. You know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, didgeridoo? Wow, wow, wow. Didgeridoo. That's didgeridoo. it, didgeridoo. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like he just used like bagpipes and a didgeridoo. Um and before anybody says, well, but Brian, you know, if you think the music's so bad in this, can you hum the theme from, you know, the 2000 Frank Herbert's Dune miniseries? Actually, motherfucker, I can. Do uh, it, please. <laughs> I want to hear it. And it's great because, like, it's meant that Grand Ravel did the music for, uh, for, for Frank Herbert's Dune. And it's, it's a beautiful score because... I can even hum you the Atreides theme. I, I can hum to you multiple themes from this thing. The Atreides theme is dun, 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 dun. Anyway, but like he makes the music sound like windswept. Like it sounds like the dunes, you know, the wind is going over the dunes. That's perfect. So I don't mind if you want to mimic like something, if you want to like feel the atmosphere, you know, Graham Ravel did that with Frank Herbert's Dune. I don't know what, the, again, Hans Zimmer's done some of the greatest shit in history. I don't know what the fuck he was doing here. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what. I, I, I mean, I'm starting to wonder if they have caches of spice in Hollywood, and they're all snorting it because this, this was nonsense. The the, the soundtrack. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just easier to write that way. I, I'm not really sure. Maybe he's ex- experimenting. Well, he's probably the most demanded. I mean, since John Williams is retired, of course, uh, and, and like James Horner's dead, um, as is Jerry Goldsmith. And Joel Goldsmith, and well, all the greats are gone. Um, he's probably the most demanded uh, composer in Hollywood. And you know, here's the thing, and I've and I've I've said this before, that we're gonna get to the point as a species where like we've like mathematically, you're gonna run out of ways, like you're gonna run out of melody, you know, because eventually you're just sampling, 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 because you can only arrange the instruments that we have in so many ways. Now, you can still make new instruments, yes, but... And it's I, going to take hundreds of years to get to that point. Yeah, but I think Hollywood's already getting there, and I think that's what's going on. That's why he's just going for tones, and he's not actually, like, composing melody, because he's 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 empty. No, I don't believe that. I mean, maybe James Horner is empty, but that doesn't mean that all the melodies have ever been made. Uh, see, but he... Like, there's a trend. Like, even in TV shows today, there's no theme songs. Like, nobody does theme songs for TV shows anymore. I hate it. Like, that used to be my favorite part of TV shows. I used to love getting the CDs with all the theme songs and everything. Can anyone imagine Knight Rider or Airwolf without their fucking theme songs? Hell no. You know? And so, I just, something's going on where Hollywood is either putting them in reserve, these themes, you know? Or, or what? But this is this is becoming common. Go ahead. I, you know, I, I have this theory, and I feel like it's bolstered by my interactions with more normal people. Oh, yeah. Now. See, I don't get that. Uh, Go ahead. But I think maybe what's happening is that they modern Hollywood is looking back on old soundtracks and thinking, those sound really corny. They're too emotional. There's too many instruments. There's too much musical variation. Yeah. You know, that's just, that's corny. That's old school. We don't need that anymore. We need to do something more laid back, something more neutral, something that that doesn't annoy people, that doesn't make them feel really like anything too powerful. I, 
you know, I, you could, I'm very open to that. I think you could be right. And, and, you know, as I always say, there's more than one reason. And, you right? know, it might not even be a, a verbalized, um, you know, plan or conspiracy. Mm-hmm. It's just some trend that I feel like we're kind of organically moving towards. Like we can't offend anybody. And so even in, even in music. I don't, I don't know if it's that. It's just kind of the way that, that the world is going now. Like people are so, there's so many people, people are shoved together all the time on social media all the time. We're so desensitized. We're so out of touch with nature and with our own nature. Um, I think like people are just, they've just had too much, too much media intake and they're completely desensitized to it. Anytime they hear something that's Everything's like, in the background. Ev- anything that's like relatively emotionally powerful, they're like, huh, that's, that's... Don't want to deal with that. Look, I think you're right. I think that this is a big thing. I mean, because I am constantly complaining. How do people not love this music? You know, whatever music I'm, I happen to be referencing. And like, I'm always hearing, oh, that's corny. It's like, and what? Why? Because it feels something? Because the guy's fucking passionate about what he's saying? Oh, what a crime. Oh, passion yeah. is something that I feel like is kind of dying away. Well, that's for sure. A bunch you know, of goddamn it, dullards. Well, it's, and I don't mean this as an insult to people. It's certainly not the way that I would want to live my life. Mm-hmm. I would feel empty if, if, you know, I had lived a life without passion. But, like, I just think that there's something's been taken away from people and maybe it is the technology but i i think that like people just can't appreciate that level of powerful emotion now this is this is weird like you're you're hitting at something here okay because i it, this just struck me like what what kind of music does mark zuckerberg listen to i have no idea what kind of music does jeff bezos listen to i have no idea in fact I can't think of many celebrities or people who are supposedly important and wealthy. I have no idea what kind of music they listen to. I, I don't know. I, I guess I know what The Rock listens to, but that's just because he's putting out there what, um, like, somebody that he's probably invested in in the music industry. Uh, you know, like, he'll listen to somebody from a friend that he's, like, connecting with in the background or something like that. But, like, a lot of these people, I have no idea what they listen to. As to where I can think of celebrities from back when, I know exactly what they listen to. I know what Harrison Ford listens to. I know what Harlan Ellison listens to. I know what Joe Michael, J. Michael Straczynski listens to. I know what Steven Spielberg listens to. I know what George Lucas listens to. Like, I, I can list off all the music that they listen to. I don't think I've ever seen a goddamn interview with any of these guys where they talk about what they listen to. And, like, that that feels conspiratorial in that, no, we don't talk about music. You know, because you can only promote whatever the system wants. Yeah, and right now it's rap music. Yeah, fucking A. Yep. <laughs> but I mean, here, look, t- tell me you don't feel like, a, like, like a, a, a crime was committed against you for, it, it took you until you were 27 to see Rodimus Prime open up the Matrix of Leadership and Stan Bush you know, to sing the touch. Like, I feel terrible for you that you didn't know. I've known that feeling since I was six. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's... Well, you're right. That w- That is a powerful moment. Yeah. And it's And the music's there. Super you, you said it earlier, before yeah. we even had this conversation. The music made it. 
Uh-huh. Goosebumps. Yeah, I don't think I, it would have felt nearly as powerful without that. Damn Skippy. But, you know, there there are other ways to find that. Yeah. And I think I found that, you know, mild, more or less in other areas of life. But you're right. I, I don't... I actually don't know that I would have... See, I avoided Transformers when I was a kid mm-hmm. because I had a lot going on emotionally. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I like, I spent a lot of time reading books and whatever. Yeah. But I don't think that, like, I could have watched something that was so powerfully joyful and triumphant and just, like, this victorious, happy, like, nothing can kill us, we're invincible kind of feel. Like, I was not in a place to appreciate that when I was younger. Now, yes. Ah, so, here's the problem. The problem's not the music. The problem's not the corniness. The problem is the world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is, that, is that is that what you are telling me, Ellen Sovereign, right now? The world? The problem is that, like, that everybody is just pissed off and just their lives are sh- their lives are shit. And that's why they can't appreciate this stuff. Well, I guess if you want to put it that way, I mean, I just think that, that everybody's in a different place emotionally. Like, yeah. You can kind of say, like, at, in a larger sense, like, yeah, the world is kind of in a place where it's not hopeful. It's not, you know... Yeah. Outlook isn't too great. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Things seem kind of dire right now. Yep. And Dune's not helping when it could have come in with some epic themes, you know, and have Paul ride the worm. And... That's all it had to do. It's such a beautiful moment. (laughs) It's just not there. Let's talk about the worm. Okay, so let's, let's 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 switch back. That was a fantastic conversation. Okay, but let's switch back to talking about Dune. Okay, um, try and get to some good things here. Let's talk about the design of the worm, of the sandworm, of Shai Hulud. You know, arguably the most important character in the entire Dune saga. Um, did you, like me, think that it was like? A giant butthole coming out of the sand. <laughs> well, you could say about the original Dune movie, the 84 Dune movie, that the sandworms looked like a penis. Well, it's a worm. I, I, yeah, I, yeah but, I, <laughs> I, I hear you. I mean, like, if its mouth was two segments instead of three, it would have looked like a penis. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, Lynch, to his credit, was copying the artwork done, the tremendous artwork, classic artwork done for Dune books, book covers. And that's where he got his, you know, he was doing it right. Okay. Frank Herbert approved. Okay. As to where, you know, the chocolate starfish that we got in this. (laughs) Well, see, you can criticize it for its lack of segmentation on the face. Uh, Maybe it did look a little bit like a sphincter. I don't know. But I actually appreciated that they emphasized the teeth in this one because the Chris knives are made from the teeth of the sandworms. You actually get to see the teeth in this movie. Whereas I don't know that I really noticed them in the older movie. They're there, but definitely not as pronounced. Right. Yeah. Um, so you liked it. I, I thought they did the teeth right. Okay. But that that's all I'm saying. <laughs> which worm do you like better? 
Um, the one that I got to see more. <laughs> the one that Paul wrote. In 84. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I swear, like, I think when you, the one, you get like two times where you really get to even see the worm in this movie. Um, the one major time when it's like looking at Paul and then the thumper goes off. I swear it even, it farts. Like, it just yeah. does this, <laughs> and like, you see things inside moving and I'm like, it's a butthole. <laughs> And it just blew ass. It was making like a deep rumbling noise, but the vocal cords are so big that it just, it's really slow. So it's like, uh, 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 uh. I, I think it was, <laughs> I think it I, I think that that was like the most epic troll ever done by Denise Villeneuve, where he's like, folks, this movie's shit. <laughs> now I'm going to, I'm going to prove it to you. <laughs> and that, well, anyway, uh, no. Wow. <laughs> so, so what I really think, I think it's meant to look like an eye, I, and I've said that before. I said that years ago. Um, that when like the first trailer came, I'm like, yeah, they're they're making the the mouth of the sandworm look like an eye on purpose, and that's why you're really seeing the teeth. Like it's meant to look like all the, you know, um, and and when you like you see it on reliefs in the in you know on Arakeen. Which did they ever even call it Arakeen? Did they tell you it was Arakeen? Uh, I don't, I don't know. No, I don't think they did. Um, and it's funny they even talk about like population centers. I'm like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? There's only two population centers on Dune. <laughs> there's there's Arakeen and Carthage, and that like that that that's it. Um, anyway. Yeah, whatever. they attacked every population center. All yeah, two of all them. All two of them. <laughs> Thanks, Duncan. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which are you, are you going to mention about the, the beard? Yeah. I was shocked to see, I like Jason Momoa. I liked him back when he was in Stargate, when he was in Stargate Atlantis. This guy's, this guy's old. Of course, he'll never talk about it because, oh, that's old. Can't fucking talk about that. you know, that's not cool. That doesn't fit with the, with the fucking marketing program. Anyway. Um, yeah, he shaved his beard and I, I thought he looked like shit. Like, Man, that's harsh. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> like I said, I like Momoa. I, I thought, I mean, you and I, we went and saw Aquaman in theaters. That movie's fucking great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, Explosions everywhere. Boom. I mean, that's... So a, epic. Fuck yes. Way better than Villeneuve did here. Um, <laughs> so I like Momoa a lot. Uh, I, I don't... He, he didn't work for the, in this for me. He, he, did, he did not work. I just didn't expect Duncan Idaho to look like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was described differently... Mm-hmm. In the book, like I, I was expecting, like, I, maybe I'm wrong, but like curly blonde hair, blue eyes. He was definitely different than what was what was in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, we could get into a conversation around. Hollywood has has another thing that they're really big on, and it's like a corporate requirement. They have like checklists that they have to match where you have to have, you know, a person of uh, this background, a person of this background, a person of this background. Right. And basically the entertainment industry has gotten to the point that they want to make as many racially ambiguous characters as they can. Okay. Now I have no problem with this because frankly, if it's the year 10,191, there aren't going to be any white people left. There's all sorts (laughs) of races that we haven't even dreamed of yet. Everybody's going to be racially ambiguous. That's fine, you know, and and, and I, I I couldn't care less about that. Um, but at the same time, it's so prevalent in Hollywood now 
they're not doing it purposefully. Like they're not being racially conscious. They're just being racially blind now. And, and it just comes off cheap when you know, that's why they're putting in these people, not because they care. Mm -hmm. It's just because they want, they, they have quotas that they have to match. And frankly, that's insulting, you know, and if I were, you know, I mean, I'm Jewish, but like if I were, you know, any other minority or something like that, I'd be insulted as fuck by all of this. Yeah, like you're not getting the role because you're the best actor or right. actress. You're getting the role because we need right. this race. Yeah, like have the balls, okay, to bring in an actress of, if you want to be racially conscious, have the balls to bring in uh, a gal to play Chani and you know what what her race is so that you can feel represented. Don't make it racially, like don't don't go with the ambiguity. Unless you're going to go with the ambiguity for everybody, which again, like I said, would make perfect sense in the year 10,191. I have no problem with any of this stuff. Like representation, fucking represent all over the place. I am on board. But you know that's not why they're doing this. It's not because Hollywood cares. They don't give a shit. You know, and and they, they can't give us crap about that. Oh, well, we wanted to make Dr. Kynes a black woman because we wanted to make this a movie about mothers. It's not a movie about mothers. You failed, if that's the argument. So, anyway. Um, but the actors, overall. I mean, despite, I think, Momoa putting in one of his worst performances in history. Um, how, how did you feel about the actors overall? What did you think of Paul? Oh, you had to ask me about Paul. Yeah. Oh, you're so scrawny. <laughs> I don't know. Like, once he starts really getting into, like, battling and survival mode mm -hmm. you know he does become a bit of a more powerful character but yep. he just seems like I, I i don't i don't understand why they would choose him he doesn't seem like he comes from like a royal bloodline of any kind yeah yeah i mean to some degree the original dune book describes him as being you know a little frail but i they they, they were just going for like the quote-unquote hot emo look and that you have that's another one of those like checkboxes that everybody thinks you have to have uh, in movies today or in, even in TV shows. Like, who the fuck was that Romulan brother in Picard? What even happened to that guy? I don't know. You know, but you just have to have that. You got to have the hot emo guy so that people can, I don't know, get all hot and bothered on Twitter. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he was, he was he was a complete fail. And in fact, it's hilarious. The one time you see him like or the major time you really see him in action is a dream sequence and he's wearing a pretty awesome still suit credit due. Uh, and it's like, Oh, well he looks like he's kicking ass probably because that's not him. They just CGI his face onto that fucking still suit. It's like, well, you, you failed again. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a scene towards the end where he's, you know, he has to kill a Fremen mm -hmm. and they're fighting this Fremen guy is huge. Yeah. And Paul is so small, and it, he makes it look easy. Yeah. Like, it's easy for him to, to beat this guy. Yeah. Who's a great fighter. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem all that realistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't... I agree. And I didn't like Stilgar's performance overall. Um, it just... It was too laid back. You know, like I appreciate him being a person that just doesn't care about what everyone else is doing. He only cares about his people. Uh, but Stilgar has a wisdom that just wasn't on display, I think, in this movie. Right. Um, Jessica. Didn't feel like a Bene Gesserit to me, you know, but that comes with a lot of baggage for me. So I don't know. That's that's 
probably more subjective. What did you think of? Well, uh, again, like I said, there's a certain nobility and Mm -hmm. mysticism that comes with the Bene Gesserit, um, especially given their their special skill set of being in total control of all of their nerves. Right. Um, Like every muscle movement has a meaning. Uh, They can see things before people even say them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that sense at all. She just seemed like an, an average person. Mm-hmm. Um, Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto Atreides. I don't I know. I thought he did fine. Yeah, he's fine. I mean, Oscar Isaac's a, a great actor. I'm not going to say he's not. He is. Uh, I thought some of his, like, and, and whatever reason Oscar Isaac thinks he has to make jokes all the time, um, I thought the jokes didn't fit, you know, like with Leto. Um, like, Gurney can make jokes. Not Duke Leto. <laughs> Uh, but that that's personal taste. But Oscar Isaac's great. He was fine. Speaking of Gurney, Josh Brolin, tremendous actor. Absolutely tremendous actor. Um, you're not going to beat Patrick Stewart, but he did what he did. I, I, I thought it worked, and I think he would do well in the maybe sequel to this film. Um, who else did we have? I mean, Chani. All seven minutes of her. What did you think of Zendaya as, as, as Chani? I, I don't know. I can't really say. Right. Yeah, I can't either. We I, barely got introduced to Johnny in this movie. What I did see, I wasn't impressed by. Um, like, she doesn't have the presence that both Sean Young in the 84 uh, Dune and that Barbara Kordatova had in Frank Herbert's Dune. Um, I think she's missing on those points. And... I mean, Sean Young's a tremendous actress. Like, you got big shoes to fill there. I don't. I don't know how you're how you're going to pull that off. Um, anyway, like, there, there's other with Villeneuve. There's other conversations that could be had there. Um, I don't know that it, it didn't work. It just there wasn't enough, like you said. There just wasn't enough there. Can we talk about Leto and Jessica? Yeah, because let's do it. They're supposed to be like madly in love with each other. Yes. Like, Jessica's so in love with Leto that she disobeyed an order from the sisterhood Mm -hmm. and gave birth to a son instead of a daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're like soulmates, if if you believe in that. They're like, you know, just crazy about each other. Yes. And... They're going to sleep together fully clothed. Yeah, in this movie, I just... You don't see them together more than, like, a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you get nothing of the passion that is clearly on display in the 84 Dune. I mean, to the point that you even have a very tasteful and but simple bedroom scene. You know, where, you know, just, just Jessica's crying, I'm going to miss Caladan so much. You don't see anything, and you don't need to see anything. Like, I, I don't need the movie to be like a sex-filled, you know, whatever. I'm not asking for that, but I'd like to see some expressions of love, you know, of some kind. That's a quick way of displaying it in, in Hollywood. Um, and they just, they didn't do any of it. Yeah, they left all the love out of the story. Yeah, I feel like in general, like, there might, maybe one Harkonnen made a comment about sex, about being with a highborn, and that was it. And I think that's out of place for Dune as well. Not that Dune is pornography or erotica by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a, it is a sex-positive work, which is uncommon for the time of the material. And I thought that was severely lacking um, in this film. Not to say that it's in the 84 Dune in any grand way, but it's at least there a little bit. You get the hints of it, you know, where, like, even 
Jessica's trying to lure in the Harkonnen, you know, you boys don't have to fight over me, right? That's a Bene Gesserit. Like, that, that, that's the business they would do, you know? Um, none of that was here. And I cannot imagine why, you know? Like, what part of the movie made you feel like you needed to steer away from just any notion of love in the film? I just don't think it's there. Yeah, and I think because of that, it made it feel like a much darker film. Yeah. Like, certainly when they're still on Caladan, it is. And once the invasion begins when they're on Dune, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's dark. But there's just not a lot of love shown in this movie. Yeah, I mean, even when, when Leto is saying to, like, when everything's, he knows things are going to start falling apart, and he says to Jessica, I'm not asking you to to take care of our son as a mother, I'm saying I want the Ben, you know, are the Ben Jesserit going to take care of him? And I was like, wait, what? Fuck the Ben Jesserit, you know, in that instance. It's like, I want to know that you're going to, you know, take care of him and you're going to die for him if you have to, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it just, yeah, like, love was strangely missing from this movie. Um, it, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's very weird. Um, that's what I got. Now, another weird scene, Caladan, when you're on, when they're on Caladan. Suddenly, out of nowhere, in the middle of the night, for some reason, Jessica tells her son, like, the deepest, darkest darkest secrets of the entire universe, and that the Bene Gesserit are, like, this political powerhouse pulling all the strings, you know, that they're puppeteers and everything. Yeah, that was strange. Just out of nowhere, in this, like, misty background, like, what the fuck was that? It was right after the Reverend Mother left, after she tested Paul. And then Jessica's telling him, like, Oh yeah, the the Bene Gesserit are the ones that are arranging all this stuff politically. Like, that's not how it's supposed to go down. Like, you can hear that, but mm-hmm. it does not give you any sense of skill of how much they actually control. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's probably the cheapest exposition shot I've ever seen. Uh, like, I, I I mean, it's it like fails. looking at a little photograph of the Grand Canyon. Yeah, you know, like you get to see what the canyon looks like kind right. of from a distance. But it will never give you the sense of scale of, like, actually being there. Yeah, but even, like, yes, you're totally right. And and, and even, like, the way that it's done, like, that it's present, like, what how it's said and the setup, it just feels like it, it'd be akin to, you know, uh, uh, mother and son just going shopping and walking through, the, like, the bread aisle and saying, son, the Illuminati control everything. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's just... It's just out of nowhere, you know, like and, and, and completely out of place. Uh, yeah, a big fail on, on the movie's part, um, in my opinion. So, okay. So the acting was, I, what would you say? Was it all 50-50? Is, is, that, is that? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of it was good. It's just the writing that I did not yeah. like. Batista was good. I mean, but he just has visual flair. He just has presence, you know? Yeah. So he doesn't even have to say much if he doesn't want to. No, he just looks powerful. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's Batista. All right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I always want him carrying a belt, but whatever. You know, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he did find his Raban. I'm sure he'll be a bigger deal in the, you know, potential next movie. Again, we don't have a green light on whether or not this... And it was designed to be a two-part film. Um, right, because it ends so suddenly... Yeah, oh my, what the fuck? And it ends at such a strange place, too. Very weird place. It just drops. Like, the movie just stops. Like, it's just a hard stop. Out of nowhere. Um, it's another part of that whole confusing out-of-nowhere-ness of this film. 
Um, I hope that, I mean, you know, as much as I'm not enjoying this movie, I hope they make a second one. I'd like to see what they do with the rest of the material. Um, I, I don't know. What, what do you think on that? Yeah, again, I think the way that this movie was filmed, I really, really appreciate. And I want to stress that, like, this is something I appreciate about the movie, mm-hmm. that it takes things slowly and it does the exposition. Um, even if it is missing super major critical aspects of the story. Right. I don't know. Maybe it'll, there'll be some sort of retribution. Uh, there'll be like an, a full explanation of everything and things will be the way they're supposed to be. I'm hoping when the next movie comes out right. um, or the second part of this comes out, um, you know, maybe then they'll talk about the guild and the emperor and Erlan and like the Bene Gesserit will get more of a spotlight. I don't know, but I'm just hoping that there is more of an explanation because, again, this was not a bad film. It was a good movie. It's just not what Dune needs to be. Yeah. In order to be called Dune. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, the more I think about it, the more it makes me say think that, like, I don't think they want to explain anything. Because if they do explain it, it's weird and you lose your audience. Or you lose the, you know, you lose the normies. Right? Um you won't lose the science fiction fans. They'll eat it up, but you'll you'll lose like the everyday person, and you can't afford to do that. Um, I think another part of perhaps why like the love and and perhaps some of the like sexuality and other aspects, and maybe a lot of other aspects in this film aren't there, is because uh, Hollywood requires massive um, massive numbers from a Chinese audience, and the Chinese government. I'm not blaming you know Chinese people. I'm saying the Chinese government is very strict in what you can put in a film, especially when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, so I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, I will say quickly, this was, I mean, as far as look, film's gorgeous. I mean, it, this is a massive movie. Like, it is really, really stunning um, on look overall. Would you yeah, agree with that? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in comparison to to the other Dune films because I think we got to wrap this up. Um, in comparison to the other Dune films, I, I I, think it makes Frank Herbert's Dune from 2000 look like a fucking masterpiece, which it should not. Um, and the 84 Dune still stands very tall as just, I think, the, the, the totally superior film, uh, which also had the benefit of having Frank Herbert on set. Just saying. But how about you, <laughs> Ellen? What, what, what do you think? Yeah, well, I agree. And nothing's going to beat the book. Uh, mm-hmm. But the original Dune movie, I think, um, I would recommend, if you've never seen either of them, watch that one first. Yeah, absolutely. Because it'll give you a much fuller picture than this new Dune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you want, go out and find the, the complete Dune. Find, like, the three-hour version. Um, I mean, that's the thing, too, and you had said this. Like, there's no reason they needed to split these movies into two. No, they they could have just made it a three-hour, four-hour-long movie. And they could have gotten it all in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because even, like, the extra scenes that exist within this um, were filmed for the original 84 Dune. And if you watch the complete Dune, you can see them, how they were done back then, even. So, yeah, it's a pity. I really had hopes for this movie, that it was going to be, you know, something really special, and it was going to do Dune right. Um, and I, I don't think it did at all. Like, I think it's a confusing mess. 
uh, of a movie. It visually blows you away, and maybe they're counting on that so that you don't have to think too hard about it. But if you don't know Dune, I think you're walking into a you're walking into a trap. Uh, <laughs> and so, but that's why we did this review because, like Thufur Howitt said, who is a Mentat, if you know what Mentats are, uh, you won't if you watch the movie. Um, the first step in avoiding a trap is in knowing of its existence. And uh, well, you know that this is a trap. <laughs> so don't pay for it if you can help it. Yeah, and you can help it. <laughs> so. Uh, but if you got to see it, you know, see it. I don't think seeing it in theaters would have, like, changed my mind. Everybody's saying you need to see it in theaters. I'm like, uh, uh, no, it should do fine on its own. Yeah, I mean, it is th- a grand scale kind of yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I imagine it would look really amazing on a big screen. Mm-hmm. But it still looked great just on our television. Yeah, well, we're watching it on a 40-inch. We got yeah. subwoofer, you know, really nice sounds and everything. I mean, it wasn't, we weren't lacking in that by any means. Um, so it's not like the music sounded bad because we had shitty speakers. Fuck no. These are very nice speakers. Um, so anyway, you got anything else you want to, you want to end off this on? Um, I think, you know, just seeing any amount of Dune is better than none. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say like, don't watch the movie. Mm -hmm. I think maybe what people can take away from this is that like, like we said earlier, you know, it's it's a good movie just as far as Dune goes. It's really missing a lot of story elements. Yeah. And that's the reason that I want to hate this movie so badly. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but because, just because the original Dune, the story, the book, even the 84 movie is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so intricate. Yeah. And I really don't like that it's missing all of that detail. Mm-hmm. But, again, like, it's not a bad movie for what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And, in fact, you raise a great point that I think is a good one to end on. Uh, anytime any kind of new Dune material has been made outside of Frank Herbert's original six-book canon, which is what Dune really is at the end of the day, um, everybody usually says, or a lot of the critics will always say the same thing. Hopefully this gets people to read the original books. That's what matters. Yeah. And so if it does inspire that, this is a win. Right. You know, then then this is a win, and I'll be glad that it exists if it inspires that. Um, I think the Dune movie, the 84 Dune did that. The 2000 Frank Herbert's Dune did that. I think this could do that. Maybe. Uh, because you're just so visually blown away, you've got to know more. And I hope people go to learn more, but just get ready to find out how much more there is, <laughs> because there's a lot. Um so, yeah, that's my hope for this as well. And I think that's a nice note to end on. And it gets a lot weirder. And I love the weirdness. I thrive on that. Oh, But they cut out a lot of the weird stuff. Yeah. Maybe I mean, that's you, why the Guild Navigators aren't there, because they are pretty freaking weird. Yeah, no, really. Like, I, I, I think that's a key element of this, is that they need to, they have to get millions of people watching this movie. And if they bring in all the weirdness of Dune, you're going to lose those people. And they're going to trash it. They're going to hate it. Um, but the problem is, is that when you say nothing, well, that's just it. You say nothing. So anyway, um, Ellen, great time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully next time I'm on, we can talk about something a little more. We'll talk uh, about something good. Uplifting. Yeah. 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 Something that was actually all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll wrap this up and we'll see all of you woo, on the other side.
Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside. And not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time, and you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. <laughs> 